guess it was I'm just now finding out what it was all about Sort of. Sort of. Uh, for right now, we're going to stop and uh, do just, again, this is kind of a little special bonus cast for y'all. And it's one that very much comes from some of the writing that I've been doing on our side blog, which I am writing constantly for. Uh, I constantly have ideas, I constantly have opinions, and I constantly have films that I want to talk about there. So that's kind of what I've been doing there. And my God has, I have to say, being a father has inspired you to write. I, it's been compulsive, compulsive. Let's just leave it at that. Um, my thoughts on Lola, uh, who was born uh, a few weeks ago, uh, are at uh, flickeringlife.wordpress.com. Uh, um, yeah, it's just been kind of a way of, it's like, okay, how do I burn off this energy I write? Um uh, I'm actually kind of trying to slow it down a little bit and make the pieces a little bit better. Um, I'm not planning on posting anything until uh, at least Tuesday or Wednesday, for example, uh, of this week. Um, I'm going to try and focus on building something good. Um, but uh, I want to talk for this moment about, uh, as I said, this is something that came out of that. It came out of an essay that I wrote a couple of months ago, in which we will link to. And it's just an idea that we've, really it's an idea I've been kicking around for a long time, which is, why do our opinions not stay stable? Why do the movies that we like in one moment, why do we like them less in another? Or why do we like them more in another? It's not always shifting to the negative. And, I, and I've been thinking about this because I've been having a number of discussions with people about movies that I liked so much in one moment and just don't like so much right now, or again, in other cases, like much more. You, th you think that opinions are stable because we're stable people, except for the fact that we're not is the thing. You know, yeah. But you think that fundamentally we're not going to change that much, and I mean, it's got to be noted that I would say at least, at least seventy percent of the movies that I watch, my opinion in one moment you can almost take to the bank in the next. When we did the Fifth Element, there was a prime example. That was a movie that I loved, loved, loved at thirteen, and when we went back to it, found that at thirty-two I still have pretty much the same reaction. Yeah, Fifth Element is still amazing. Um, it's it's still great, you know. And and we've seen that before with other movies, uh, the Disney Renaissance. Uh, okay, Twister, my opinion changed dramatically on, but you know, Independence Day, uh, I still quite like, though maybe don't love the same way. But it's that thirty percent, I'd say, where our opinions do shift, or maybe even like the ten percent that we might shift on a film. We might be giving a movie. 
eight stars versus 10 in a given year. We, we might be shifting to a six from uh, a, uh, t- from a five, you know, we might, l- the little variances, this fascinates me. And I really, and I did a couple of essays on it, but I thought, no, this is something that we really need to bring up. And what really, really triggered this was, I'm going to break the seal and talk about what we're not supposed to talk about. We have an unreleased cast. Yeah. Is it all, is it all right if I talk about this? Because I feel like this yeah, is... Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Three years ago, we recorded a cast on Arrested Development Season 4. And we were very positive on it. Uh, even a little bit defensive. And I recently rewatched it, and I was struck by the fact that it wasn't as good as I remembered. Season 4 really is kind of a disappointment. It doesn't... It's not very dramatically satisfying, is the thing. And a lot of the jokes in it are are aging very poorly. Yeah, it's 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 rough. I know they recut it for DVD. I would be interested to see exactly how they recut it. I, I think that's going to help because there are... I mean, I want to be clear. There's a lot of good on there. And I'm only shifting from, ver- from positive to a little bit mixed. I guess they uh, cut it mostly for to to uh match you know like each episode focuses on a, on a different character in season four uh i guess they cut it to more match the rest of the series where it's more chronolo- chronologically sound i don't know if that's going to fix the problems in fact i think that's actually going to create problems um again i i don't really hate it i'm i'm not shifting from oh my god i thought this was great to something i i despise no I, I'm more shifting from I wish this had been a little bit better, and and that is where I stand on it. Is I do wish it had been a bit better. Um, it, but it's interesting to me because, and I started thinking about why do I feel that way over this time, and I think that part of the reason is that I've been watching a lot more TV. Um, you know, trust me, ten months. Uh, you know, going through the nine months with a, a pregnant wife. Uh, you don't get to get out as much as you want to. And I mean, just simply living with Amanda has meant that I haven't gotten out as much as I used to. So I've been watching better TV. Uh, I've been watching more and more quality stuff. And no, this this doesn't, you know, next to something like, say, Broadchurch, which I love to death. Um, and seriously, we may have an episode coming on that. I think you need to watch that. And I think we need to do an episode on it. I would be up for that, yeah. Yeah, because I think because I think that is in and of itself a thing uh, to cover. You know, also you can be, also you know I've been watching stuff like BoJack Horseman, which I think is better. I, I I'd even go so far as to say I'm increasingly feeling like uh, BoJack is going to be Will Arnett's truly best work he's ever done. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just but it's but but watching but rewatching that and then thinking that we had this episode in the bank. And y'all may still yet hear that at some point. We're not, we're not yeah. closing the door to it coming out. Yeah. To be to be clear, the reason it's unreleased is it was always recorded as a banked episode. Mm-hmm. But we've just been too busy. We've been too busy. <laughs> we, we, we've, yeah. And and stuff has come up. So I, I so as I said, that's kind of where I'm opening this with is how do our opinions change? And so I'm going to start. Part of this is that we've gone back through our uh, episodes. So. Mm-hmm. You said that there's one that hit you that you've really changed your opinion on. I want to hear that. Uh, it's actually a talking cat, believe it or not. Mind, the film is no better than when we watched it. But I think 
I believe uh, when we did that episode, we stated, yeah, I'm never going back to this. I'm never going back to this. It's like, well, uh, recently, like a month or two ago, uh, me and my friends have a bad movie night. We get together and watch like maybe two or three uh, quote unquote bad movies or movies that we'll just enjoy that aren't really, you know, that aren't considered quote unquote top quality. Like we've watched Commando, we've watched some of uh, Andy Sedaris's films. Ooh, uh, good stuff. Yes, <laughs> those are fun. In fact, uh, uh, Peter gave us all copies of uh, like a 12 pack of his films. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, so, you know, I've shown them The Room to great response, I've shown them Birdemic, which, Birdemic is still unwatchable. It just dies in rooms. It's uh, fascinating how much that one dies when, uh, people watch it. Yeah. Yeah, that one didn't get as much good response. However, one that got great response is, I tried a talking cat, and wow. (laughs) You know you've got it, like, when you're sitting in a room full of people in front of a TV and you can pause, rewind. You know you've hit on something when you do pause and rewind stuff. It's like, wait a minute, back it up. Look at this. And you catch things that, you know, in the group that you've never noticed before on your own. And it's like a talking cat is definitely a uh, a party movie. I, you know, I've had the same experience. I've watched it uh, in groups too. And it really does play great to groups. It does, yeah. I mean, it's so I've I've changed my opinion on that. Like, I I rescued a copy from haha rescued cat um from block from Blockbuster when it was closing because I was pretty damn sure that I was the only one who ever rented it and nobody was going to buy it and it was just gonna get thrown away. So I just rescued it as a keepsake. It's been in my collection ever since. Well, I'm glad I did. Yeah, I think the mark of how rewatchable a talking cat is is that you've got casts like, uh, you know, all the endless people that have gone in and reviewed it and have done great work with it. It's one that does play very well. Um, you know, there's even the minute by minute, uh, or it's, is it, yes, uh, a talking cast. Yeah. Does, which has taken it, uh, Roger Ebert uh, hosting a film class style, and they've watched just tiny segments of it. A minute by minute look at it. And they just talk about it. That's 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 a brilliant idea. I love this cast and I highly recommend everybody listen to it. Um <laughs> it, 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 it's fascinating. It's it's a mosaic of opinions on it. Um I yeah, I, I this is one that's well worth people's time if they get the chance uh to uh watch it. And I think the thing about it is when you're watching it initially you don't see just how much fun it is to rewatch it. Um, you don't expect that, okay, you're going to get the rhythms, you're going to get the fun of it. Because, um, yeah, I again, I if I ever re-listen to our cast, that's one of the ones that I throw on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because we were having fun with it. Ironically, I don't, you know, other than the, you know, the fact that I edited it, uh, I don't think I've ever really actually gone back and listened to like a completed episode like i've always uh listened to it piecemeal and said okay this is great and just like moved on but i've never actually listened to a completed like uh all the way through 
Is that weird? That's weird. No, it's not, because I, I, I have trouble looking at newspaper pages after I've uh, built them, so... Yeah, well, there I, you go. I get it. But yeah, that's... Yeah. I, I will sometimes listen to the cast if I need, like, white noise. It's it's good white noise, because it's my own voice. And occasionally I'll hear us... You know, the fun of this is it's opinions that I sometimes forget I had. Um, you know, yeah. topics hmm. that I forget... I mean, it's we're, we're keeping this stuff in preservation. Um but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an interesting one. You know, talking about movies that we've watched uh, for this cast that I've changed my opinion on, uh, I'm going to go with Howard the Duck. Yeah. As, as one that I've really changed my opinion on because I, I think I was too hard on it. That's one where I definitely think I was too hard on the movie. I, I, I've, I've rewatched it a couple times since then, and I really have developed a bit of an appreciation for it. Uh, to the point where I would even go so far as to say, move my opinion from negative to mixed. I think there's too much good in there for me to appreciate. I think the uh, special effects are, okay, aside from Howard still looks ugly as sin. He still looks yeah. hideous. But m- moving that a- aside, uh, the special effects are good. The uh, And there is a lot more of Steve Gerber's work in there, I think, than I th- than people give it credit for. There's a lot more scenes in that movie that actually do really try to mimic Gerber's work, and I do appreciate that. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I feel like I was a little too hard on that movie. And uh, so, yeah, if I had it to do again, I would move my marker positive on Howard the Duck. Nice. I meant to say mixed, but you know what? I would go that. I would say positive. I at the, Here's the way that I feel about it. We have no business having a Howard the Duck movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of glad for the fact that we at least have one, and I just don't think it's that bad. Uh, I really don't. Uh, for my part, it's like you know what we talked about. It's like they did they did try pretty hard. <laughs> I mean, it's it is in itself uh, a very like Howard the Duck uh, as a concept is very strange and very avant garde and off the wall. So. It's the movie is kind of that way. Yeah, I mean, I just and I feel like it deserves more credit for that. Um, is it a is it really a quote unquote good movie? No, no, probably not. But not by conventional standards. Not by not by conventional standards, it's really not. But it is fun, and I don't know. I I would rather watch something that's trying. I mean, that's the thing. I'd rather watch something that tries. Um, yeah. Uh, as I said, no, it's not a conventionally good movie. Are there? Let me ask you: Are there movies that we've covered that you were positive on that you're feeling more negative towards? Uh, the one, the one that comes that jumps immediately to mind is, uh, I think we have talked about Avengers two, right? Yeah, yeah. I th- that might not that might be on an as yet unreleased cast. I think it is actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe my opinion is on there. Oh. I think you're. I think you are a little bit mixed on it, actually. Yeah, I am a little mixed on it. So that might not exactly count, but yeah, because my opinion of it has kind of gone to mid from from I loved it to middling. I'm a little. I, I am a little cooler on that one too, and I've been thinking about why I have been. Uh, you know, th- this is okay. Here is a prime example of of a good example of why do opinions shift i think blockbuster movies it's real easy to overrate them on first on first watch 
I think big movies, it's real easy to overrate them. I noticed that their opinions, people tend to cool on those faster than just about any other film out there. Yeah. I've started to see that to a degree with some people on The Force Awakens. People have been cooling on that. I'm not one of them. I I absolutely adore the movie. I'm not either. Yeah. I, I No, I, I do want to state something right here, right now, though, on uh, Force Awakens. All those criticisms of people saying, oh, it's basically episode four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Is that a problem? <laughs> Although I think we have said that. <laughs> yeah, but, but but we'll say it again. You're not really citing a problem. And you no. know what? I kind of want my Star Wars movies to feel like Star Wars. Is that a bad thing? Exactly. It's like, it's like, uh, I hate to quote George Lucas, but... It's like it's like poetry. It's you know each each stanza rhymes with the last or something like that. Yeah, something about that with the prequels. It's like you know people like to people like to quote that as a criticism of the prequels. I don't think it's a bad concept. I don't think it's a bad thing to follow. It's like that actually is. Maybe he might have kind of botched it a little bit, but that's not a bad ideal to follow. It's you know. The the generation that comes next, you know, should kind of bear some semblance to the generation that came before. Exactly. You know, it's a it's a fact of nature. History does repeat itself. You know, events uh, events do fractal. They they do, and I and I feel like people are not giving Lucas enough uh, respect for the fact that he works that very well into the series. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah. But see, there's a movie that people's opinions, I don't, I, I want to remind people, a lot of people have really shifted their opinions on the prequels. Um, I think mm-hmm. people forget that episode one wasn't really that hated on initial release. I mean, no. yes, there were negative reviews early on, and honestly, there were there was a canary in the coal mine pretty early on. For the record, I still really enjoy episode one. I don't, I I would probably put it at the bottom of the seven movies. Yeah. As far as episode one goes, it's like, yeah. And since, you know, and since knowing you, I think I have also kind of shifted my opinion of the prequels from bad to they serve. They're not perfect. If you really look under a oh, microscope, no. they've got a lot of problems. Yeah. You don't they've even got a lot of problems. You don't even need a microscope. But... Yeah. Many chlorines are a problem. <laughs> chlorines are a big problem. Uh, Although I've heard that uh, the novels kind of smooth that out, but kind of, th- I, I think that they, I think it's not so much that they um, enhance the force, or it's not so much they create mm-hmm. the force; it's that they're receptive to it, that they feed on it, uh, which is not, it's not a bad idea. I have to quote our friend JJ on this. I've, you know, I listened to his cast on uh, his Mars Needs podcast plug, uh, their Star Wars episode. And, you know, they said something like, you know, the problem with the Jedi Council around that time is they were more focused on the on the technical side, the mm-hmm. technical aspect of the Force. But Qui-Gon was more a component of, like, the living Force. Yeah. Like, and uh, hence when he dies, he becomes the first you know, Force ghost. He lives on. You know... There's something that makes me appreciate the prequels even more because that's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea for a story. That is a that's an excellent idea. You know, it's it's subtext. 
it is. So actually, yeah, that actually does make that. I didn't think that anything could make that work, but that actually kind of makes that work. It really does. It really does. One more thing before we leave episode one. I do I do have to say, I think its big strength is the pod racing sequence. There are there's a theory about that sequence. Um Yeah. There's a theory that uh Lucas got some uh, consulting help on that sequence. Um Really? Yeah. There there is a theory that Steven Spielberg at least gave some thoughts on it. That would make sense. They are friends. Yeah, they are friends. Uh what's not a theory is that Spielberg uh apparently uh helped uh, shoot some of the uh, carnage in uh, Scarface. <laughs> really? Bet you wouldn't have seen that coming, would you? No, that blindsides me. Yeah. Uh well here's a here's a vital detail that would uh make uh, that will make it make much more sense. Uh Spielberg's a good friend of Brian De Palma's. Of course. Yeah. Of course it's which which is funny cuz I don't think they've ever collaborated in any way, but uh, uh apparently they're very good friends. Uh yeah. God, wouldn't you love to hear a conversation between those two men, by the way? Oh, I would. Yeah, <laughs> Spielberg actually shows up in the uh, making of the uh, Bonfire of Vanities book uh, a couple of times. Uh, very favorably, actually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which oh, is such a great read. That That's one of those books that you just, you read it and you understand exactly how bad movies happen. It's fantastic. Um, Bonfire of the Vanities? Is what it's called? Uh, the name of the book is The Devil's Candy, and it is the it is okay. It is a definitive look at how bad movies happen. It is fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, yeah, it's well worth your time. Uh, we should warn people: this is going to be a tangent is a tangent heavy cast. That was always the plan. Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. But yeah, the uh, the Potterator game also spanned or also uh, uh, spawned one of my favorite Star Wars video games of all time, yeah. which is of course Episode One, one Racer, which is great. It makes you it makes you feel it like you get to repair your vehicle in mid race, and uh, it goes at speeds which do while you're playing it make you go whoa. Yeah, that's a great game. Yeah. Again, I there there really are good things in there, and I feel like that might be you know I, I feel like that's kind of a good thing to stop and talk about is, as I said, when you're watching these big movies, I feel like you get to a point for which if your barometer gets dialed to just the edge of negative, then all the negative stuff shows up, all the negative stuff becomes clear, or if it's towards yeah. positive, all the positive stuff becomes big, and it, it becomes harder to focus on. It's exact. It's like a yeah. It's like reading a fuel gauge. You know, you don't really know how much fuel is in the tank because of how you know those things work. But yeah, when it gets when it gets all the way to the bottom, then there might actually be um, a considerable amount of fuel in there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what happens with movies: is we start to overlook the negatives. I mean, we. Because yeah, there are a number of, there are a number of blockbuster films that I've seen where it was like okay, you fall all the way hard for them, but you do overlook the problems. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a good example right now. Uh, Avengers two definitely has that. Um, though again, I'm, I'm still I'm still very positive on it, though just not quite as positive. Like walking out, I was ready to put it above the first one. No, the first one is still really airtight, um, and the first one holds up. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, I think the only reason, uh, the only reason why I would rate uh, Avengers two as kind of on the 
I don't know, more middling side is the fact that Avengers One exists. Yeah, that's and that's the, and that's the thing. Also, we don't watch movies in isolation. Um, mm-hmm. On that note, I mean, I have to ask you: uh, Has a theater experience ever influenced your opinion of a movie? <clears throat> that is a really good question. Um, I have to think about that. Uh, I know that I had a. What should have been bad, but ended up really good uh, theater experience on Hot Fuzz, and that like I was I was prepped to like that movie anyway. Yeah, I was, I was too. You know, I was. But, however, I think the theater experience did enhance the movie, uh, even on repeat viewings. Even now, almost ten years later, holy shit! Ten yeah, years know, later, that movie is almost ten fucking years old. I, I can't know. believe it. It's insane. Ugh. See, I. I had the same experience, but go on, because I want to hear yours. Oh, yeah, I think I've relayed this on the cast before, but, you know, the, the they left the lights on. For the, like, and nobody wanted to get up uh, to... Movies too good. You know, because, yeah, it's such, a, it's such a fast-paced movie, and it's so... But, however, I got a really good audience, an audience uh, that was actually half-seniors. Hmm. It was, like, seniors, young people, and... Everybody enjoyed it. It was an awesome group experience, and we could all see each other enjoying it, which kind of enhanced it a bit, like an unintentional upside. You know, to theater leaving the lights on. I have watched that movie in experiences ranging from uh, sitting in my house and watching it to uh, seeing it in a sold-out opening night showing uh, with everybody just loudly, raucously appreciating it. That's one that genuinely can be watched at any time, any place. Um, Edgar Wright's movies are... They work. I can't, I can't wait. Do you, you see what he's doing next? Uh, n- no. I mean, I know he's got his crime... I know he's got his crime movie that he's doing next. Uh, yes, Baby Driver. Yeah, I don't know what he... Does he have something else lined up? No, that's it. Okay. Um, I read up on it just because I, you know, wanted to see what he was doing, uh... And apparently it's partially based on a music video they did. Oh, intriguing. Yeah, and uh, the song is called... And I, I rewatched it recently, you know, based on that, and I realized I had seen it before. Let's see, it has, like, Noel Felding, uh, Nick Frost, oh, of nice. course. It has to. IMDB message for us. Does anyone have the script? That's always, like, the first question people ask is, does anybody have the script? Like, well... For a Edgar Wright movie, I'm pretty sure he keeps those in a wrap. Oh, uh, yeah. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He does not. Oh, okay. oh let me tell you. Well, there you go. He does not. He does not keep those under wraps at all. Uh, trust me on that. Uh, <laughs> Scott Pilgrim, that script. Really? That script was as hard to get your hands on as uh, a Coke from the convenience store. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, it's. Uh, uh, it's ba- it's partially based on a music video called Blue Song uh, by the band Mint Royale. Intriguing. Yeah, and it's basically this, uh, um, these four guys are on like a heist, uh, and, you know, the, um, the driver played by Noel Fielding is a big music fan. He has a CD player, like, attached to his uh, dashboard. That's just like jacked into the thing, so it's kind of old fashioned. Uh, and he's basically he's asking how long they're going to be in there, 
and he's like looking through a CD collection at what tracks he can put on that will be exactly that long. It's like, okay, you have this, you have two minutes, 53 seconds. And it's basically focuses on him listening to the song in a car or in the car, trying to, uh, trying to wait for like trying to groove to the song and trying to wait for them to finish the robbery while also trying to pretend like, uh, he belongs there. (laughs) Nice. Nice. So it's, it's very entertaining, and uh, I can't wait to see him build a movie on it. That that sounds interesting. Um, yeah, I will be intrigued to see where Wright goes uh, next with this. Um, but uh, you know, getting back to the, to, to when it, theatrical experiences have affected it, I think that they do affect it to a great degree. Um, I'll tell you a movie that had a negative theatrical experience. Uh, I went to see Finding Nemo with a crowd that actively was not feeling it. Aww. Yeah, and I think that definitely tainted my opinion of it, to a great degree. I still don't consider Finding Nemo the best Pixar's ever done. I I still think it's middle tier for them, for me. Yeah. It it is funny to me that that movie, you know, you have that. That I I had that, that, because I watched it with an audience that, as I said, actively did not feel the movie. And, And you can feel that sometimes. The mood of an audience can really taint your opinion of a movie and believe me watch a movie with some friends sometimes and see you know if you watch a movie with a group of friends that really don't like it sometimes you may find yourself in a difficult you know it can be awkward um and it can taint your opinion of it i i mean i think that happens um like it, it works the same with like youtube videos that you thought were funny and then you you know, then you uh, watch it with friends and who don't really find it funny. It's like, yeah, I guess it's not really that yeah. funny. <laughs> I, I mean... It's a little bit disappointing, but it happens. You know, I, I talked about this in the essay that we are, are going to be linking to. Uh, Bruno, when I saw that initially, uh, I saw that twice in theaters, actually. And when I saw it in theaters, it played uproariously to uh, the crowds that I watched it with. When I watched it at home, I couldn't make it through it. Oh, I just thought of one. Ooh, do tell. Ted. Ted is a perfect example of what we're talking about. Yeah, I didn't. Th- I didn't think of that until you said that about Bruno. But yeah, that's oh, a perfect example. Like it played great to the audience. It played great to the audience, and that was fun. And then, you know, I got at home, and it's like, oh, oh. this is just. This is what dead. a horrible joke after the after another. Yeah, this is gross. Oh, Ted is a fantastic example because it's a movie that I saw again. I saw it twice in theaters. I enjoyed it. I thought it was so much fun. And then you get home and you're like, ugh. Uh, and I yeah. really, and I really think comedy is susceptible to this probably more than anything else. And, and JJ talked about this when uh, when we he was on the cast about how the audience makes you feel like okay. It gives you permission as a group to laugh at something, but you right. get at home and you're like, oh, oh, because I mean, it's, it's a group thing. Things are funnier when mm-hmm. you watch them. That's why sitcoms have laugh tracks. Um, yeah, exactly. That said, there are still things that uh, I saw in theaters that were funny that will always be funny. Uh, there is a certain mm-hmm. moment in Clerks 2 that will always destroy me. No matter when I watch it, no matter where I watch it, just saying. Yeah, yeah. You know the one. Which, which? You know the one. Uh, 
Do I? The one that we... It's been a while. Think about it. The what? The Wanda Sykes. The scene with Wanda Sykes. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, that Uh-oh. scene will always be funny. That scene will always be funny to me. Scene. Because it because it because it actually has a dual edged sword to it. It's making fun of people who are ignorant about how racist and trashy they are. Um, but but yeah, but but I really am glad that you you brought up Ted. I feel like that might be why Seth MacFarlane's uh, cinematic career is dying so quickly because it doesn't yeah. take long to see through his shit. A million ways to die in the West, which I heard by the way that Charlie's Theron uh, was in, and she took uh, she was. She filmed that in between filming Mad Max. <gasps> That's quite a detour. That is a tremendous detour. Uh, boy, talk talk about movies that are going to play great no matter where you watch them, though. Uh, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I love Fury. You know what? Fury Road is one that I think I find myself appreciating more with time. Because I can't stop yeah. thinking about it. I can't stop replaying it in my head. Um, I was modestly positive on it when I first saw it. But uh, it would have made my top five of uh, 2015 if I'd ever made a list easily. It's fantastic. It's a great movie. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That that's one that you find you find more stuff on rewatch. Like there's there's a lot more subtext there than people give credit for. That that may be part of why some of these movies collapse with time, because you find nothing there. Uh, you know, again, I think one of the reasons that we're such big fans of Edgar Wright is because he packs his movies so full of stuff that I'm still finding stuff 10 years into Hot Fuzz that I am yeah. not finding otherwise. What what was it that I was watching recently that uh, uh, it, was, it was something about, you know, this, like where somebody did a joke with a sound effect, a reaction played together with a sound effect. It's like, this seems like an Edgar Wright joke, but it works. It's like, you know what? Edgar Wright really is the master of the sound effect joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah, that's something that I think I love most about his films is just that subtlety that you you're not quite aware of, but at the same time it makes it a lot funnier. Mm-hmm. I agree. I I agree. Um you know, I feel like comedy has this problem where you have to reevaluate it. I think part of the reason that we reevaluate comedy too is that comedy we mature so much. We mature so quickly as people. We do, yeah. And I think that's a big problem that a lot of comedies face. That you know what's okay in one moment in terms of social consciousness isn't okay in another. Uh, you know, even Riff Tracks is guilty of that. Um, yeah, I, I would be fine if someone could go through and take their Twilight cuts and just like cut out all the gay jokes. Yeah, I really think they should like cut that out yeah yeah i'm not defending them at all but that was almost 10 years ago now yeah and wow has that conversation changed in our culture which is great Mm -hmm. i mean which is great it's fantastic yeah it is like even at that point you know a lot had changed in you know conversation since say the 90s but you know now we've made a lot more progress and so seeing this is just kind of painful um, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. I mean, and, and really, you you would only be cutting like forty five seconds per film, but I really feel like that, you know, because otherwise they're, they're really on point. Uh, but I mean, I think that's part of the problem is that you know stuff like 
you know, just endless uh, transphobic humor. I like, I really think the transphobic humor that we've had in movies is going to start to look really, really bad in 10 years. Oh yeah. It's already like, let me tell you something like, and that's like, I think that's maybe it's just me. Like I know that uh, the trans thing has come up, um, you know, most recently in our culture as kind of as a conversation with, uh, you know, discussion of bathrooms and all that. Uh, I know my own personal awareness has grown, you know, mm-hmm. since I now, I now have trans friends. Yeah. But, but yeah, you're right. I think that's, that's something that's, as I rewatch things is really starting to real, uh, rear its ugly head as to how disrespectful, uh, a lot of culture has been towards trans people. That's very unsettling. I mean, and and it shows up in good, and it shows up in good stuff too. That's the frustrating thing. It does, yeah. One of the problems with that is, you know, there's a classic comedy bit that shows up in everything, and unfortunately, has shown up, yeah, again in good stuff. Uh, I know there's a joke in Paddington where yeah. he dresses up as a woman, and that's a big joke. It's like that. You know, even since seeing that, that has always kind of made me borderline uncomfortable because, you know, <laughs> some people do dress as women, you know, and they're not necessarily trans. You know, there are such things as cross-dressers. It is, that is such a British trope that I'm going to give it a little more breathing room, but not much. That's true. Yeah, Monty Python especially, um did that a lot it still shouldn't be done it's still not a good idea um yeah i will say this i do want to point out while you know before we get too far away from the theatrical experience i want to point out a big one that has to be noted and i swear i really want people to to pay attention to this when you hear responses from early screenings of movies Mm -hmm. please Take them with a grain of salt. Um, there was a period uh, back about 2010, 2011, where I was going to a lot of early advanced screenings. Now, some of them were for movies that I think are, my opinion hasn't changed one bit on. Um, I saw Scott Pilgrim there, after all, and I've rewatched that movie countless times since then. Oh, hell yeah. So, you know, we already know that's one of my favorite movies. Um, I actually, you know, it's funny. I I always talk about how great that experience was watching it early. The truth was I actually watched it in a pretty dead theater. The audience that I watched it with did not appreciate it at all. Uh, Aside from my uh, friend Lauren, uh, I don't know that I heard that many people really laughing that much at it. Uh, The other thing about the, um, you know, about, you know, theater experience, sometimes you you know a movie kind of breaks through that for like you personally just you know like that it's like sometimes you enjoy it and the audience you're with doesn't and you're like yeah the audience i was with was crazy they don't you know they have no appreciation for the good stuff you know yeah and that's exactly what happened there yeah if a movie's good enough it can really uh break through that and that can also be a kind of fun because it's like ha like I, I kind of had that experience with the nice guys recently. Like it, I wholeheartedly enjoyed that, and the audience did too. But it was more of a lukewarm reception. I didn't realize you saw that. Yeah. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh shit. Yeah. This was. Now I'm jealous. Now I'm jealous of you. I'm sorry. Yeah. I. 
Yeah. Um, it's been busy. Guys, we cannot stress this enough. It has been a busy <laughs> time in my life. I had a baby. Yeah, I think this was like the week that you had uh, Lola, that you guys had yeah, Lola. So, I could... uh, so that's probably why you haven't heard about that. But yeah, I went and saw the nice guys, and it was great. It was everything. I've heard. Yeah. I, I love Shane Black, so uh, I, I'm sure it is. I, I would rate above Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, honestly. Dang, that's that that's high praise. That I love high that praise, movie. yeah. I mean, and you know that's and that's a movie by the way that I watched sitting uh, in a living room with uh, friends. So now I I stress it's just one notch above, like it's not that far above. But that's but that doesn't mean anything. It's yeah. such a high bar. Uh, it is. I'm glad I'm glad that's good. Um, but um, that is nice when you watch a movie and it's like okay, I'm still you know. I'm still enjoying it all the same. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I want I want to get back to that subject though. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Early screenings. Early screenings. Yeah. They fool you. Mm-hmm. As I said, for a period I was going to a bunch of them, uh, and then I got a girlfriend, and uh, that wound up taking up the, <laughs> that time. And uh, yeah, you know, and then I and then she became a fiance, then she became a wife, and now she's my uh, the mother of my daughter. There you go. <laughs> um, by the way, we will have a big picture of Lola. Uh, with this uh, yes yes she is adorable <laughs> i've seen several she's cute. Pictures. i can't wait to meet her come november yeah we're really looking forward to that yeah you know you get into that situation though with these movies where it's like okay where, where it's like okay it's an it's a heightened situation it's an early screening you're getting to watch a movie a little bit early and you don't have anybody else's reactions to you know to go to use as a potential barometer yeah, to sort of te- to sort of temper. It's so you kind of walk in and it's just it's just exciting. It's it's fun, and you're self selected. You've chosen to go to this early. And again, some of the movies that I saw then, my opinions haven't changed on. Uh, Super Eight, True Grit, both fantastic movies. Young Adult, you all still are sleeping on this one, and it's making me angry. Young Adult. Yeah, uh, Jason Reitman, uh, Diablo Cody script, Charlize Theron. Starring uh, Patton Oswalt. I had no idea that Diablo Cody did a movie after Jeffrey's Body. Oh, and it's so much better than it's so much better than Juno. That's what makes me angry. Is it so much better than Juno? Uh, Young adult. By the way, she is she is actually about to start uh, working with the Reitman again. They're going to do another movie together. Uh, Yeah, Reitman is kind of due for a a bit of a redemption after two bombs in a row. yeah. So there are some good ones, but then there are ones that I saw uh, Dinner for Schmucks, and I thought it was really, really funny. I think it's just mediocre. I think it's by far the worst of the four uh, Paul Rudd, Steve Carell movies. Um, I mean, without blinking, I would put Anchorman, 40-Year-Old Virgin, and Anchorman 2 above it. Uh, I still like Anchorman 2, damn it. Yeah, it was fun. I still really, really like it. It's not as good as the first one, but it's still got some absolutely hysterical lines. It's funny, you know, this, but, uh, but like, I thought that one was just okay on a second thought. Um, I, I also, uh, thought that, um, the change up, I saw that and I was like, oh, this is really funny. This is really funny. I was laughing hard at it. And then I got outside in the harsh light of day and like a couple of days later, I was like, wow, that was an absolute load of crap. Oh, dang. That's a horrible movie. Um, It's sexist. It's offensive. It's clumsy on every script level. 
It's so bad. Do not watch it. I think one that I've kind of changed my opinion on a little bit. Uh, I changed well. I changed it enough to kind of trade trade in my copy of it. Uh, was knocked up. Yeah, that's a good one to talk about because that one was actually in my essay. Uh, yeah, knocked up isn't aging as well as I hoped it would. No, I mean I still think it has some really good moments in it. Uh, there's one moment in particular with Paul Rudd. Uh, where he basically gets chewed out, and then everybody, Seth Rogen, but he's at his dog's birthday party, he's holding a cake, and he has to deliver the cake, and he's just like, this moment after being chewed out, he's like, oh, shit. And then he he faces forward, his face just full of, like, mm. uh, and he has, to, he has to go out and, you know, deliver the cake to her, his daughter and her friends. And I thought that was a great moment, you know, because he has to go into the situation, you know, while still processing this thing that just happened to him. I mean, it's not much, but it's a moment. But it's overshadowed by a lot of, frankly, a lot of unpleasantness. There is a lot of unpleasantness. The whole, the, you know, the problem that, I, that that movie has as I face it going forward, and that one's going to be 10 next year as well, is very simple. This entire movie's plot is implausible. No, it's, yeah, it's not. It's, and that's the thing that bothers me. Uh, Judd Apatow as a filmmaker in general, I have cooled on. Yeah. Uh, to the point of, to the point of pretty much being ice cold. Uh, I, I've given my thoughts on Trainwreck, again, that they're up on the lobby, and we're going to link to that essay. This is, this cast is almost an infomercial for the lobby, are you noticing? <laughs> hey, that's all right. We can, we can pip our own shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but here's the thing. This is a uh, train wreck. It may be realized he's a very conservative filmmaker who masquerades as a very progressive one. Uh, his movies are pretty much all white people. They're pretty much all rich people. They are. And yes. because at the end of the day, knocked up really should have been solved with one simple moment. You know what I think you should do? Take care of it. Tell me you don't want him to get an A word. Yes, I do, and I won't say it for little baby ears over there, but it rhymes with shmushmorshin. I'm just saying, hold on, Jay, cover your ears. You should get a shmushmorshman at the shmushmorshman clinic. Yeah, that's what that movie should... If you get, if you write a script where you even have to address the fact that your plot is ridiculous and shouldn't happen, you've, you, you've fumbled. And I think I overlooked that at the time because it is a funny movie throughout, but... Rogan and Heigl had no chemistry looking back on it. You cannot build a, you know, I saw a a review of, like, kind of a looking back review uh, of Knocked Up. Like, a, you know, it's, it was a list of, like, implausible relationships in movies on the Rotten Tomatoes show that was on Current. Rest in peace, Rotten Tomatoes show. That was a great show. That was too short-lived. But Some good people worked on that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, um... Uh, yeah, she, she, that made into her list and she's like, yeah, this is what a relationship based on obligation looks like. It should, you know, has them yelling at each other. At first I thought, oh, that's really unfair. Cause I like that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. It's a great movie. But it's not unfair. And then, and then I've ruminated that like that has been kind that criticism of it has kind of been simmering in my skull for the past. I don't know, near six years, and as I as time goes on, the more I realize she's completely and utterly right. You know, this is that's exactly what 
yeah that's exactly what that movie has um you know as i think about it there is i will say this by contrast i feel like super bad is aging infinitely better it is it's still a really fun movie because it's because that one has at its core a much more interesting idea and uh a much truer i mean what it's about fundamentally is the fact that the two the two protagonists are going to fall apart their friendship is going to die and the movie is sort of about that last gasp of their friendship before it does come to the ending that we know is coming before they split up and go their separate ways I will say this, 40-Year-Old Virgin still holds up wonderfully for me. I think, if anything, as we hit this age where we're starting to talk about toxic masculinity, it feels more and more necessary. Yeah. Uh, So I still love that one. But yeah, Knocked Up really... Like, I was even a little nicer to it in the essay, I think, than it deserved. Um, I will say that maybe Judd Apatow's films aren't holding up as well, but his projects are still pretty on point. Like, if you've... uh... Uh, there's a show on Netflix called Love. I've heard good. I've heard good. Yeah, and I, I watched all the way through, and it's very interesting because it's it kind of takes a more realistic stab at a relationship. It's like a relationship between these two extremely neurotic people and what that would look like. And if if you want to watch a better version of Knocked Up, of course there's no baby involved, uh, but if you yeah, want to watch a big plus there, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to watch a better version of Knocked Up, watch Love. It's a, it's a, it's worth thirteen hours of your time. Or excuse me, it's a half hour show. It's worth six hours of your time. <laughs> I'm, I may look into it. Um, yeah, I will say, really quickly, I do kind of want to shift gears a little bit, and I mean, I want to make you know. It's, oh wait, it just occurred to me. I did see Knocked Up at an early screening. So again. There's a prime example, though I did see it two more times in theaters. You know, I mean, I think Knocked Up is a prime example, though, of movies that you can, that as you get older, you start to see the problems with. I think Knocked Up is a glorious example of why when you get older, you start to go, okay, maybe I don't agree with this. And I think that that's an interesting angle there, because that that really is kind of how that movie plays. It's about, I got older, I matured, the movie didn't really mature. There's a couple more categories of opinion shifts that I want to hit on real quick. And uh, the first thing I want to talk about is movies that seem so revolutionary in one moment. Right. And I have a big movie that I'm going to pull out here. Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass. So I, I have to tell you, and I'm, and I'm kind of, as time goes on, I'm kind of, uh, I kind of felt like, <laughs> I feel like I was more ahead of the curve on this one because... That's one that I hated on first viewing. I don't hate it, but I'm much less impressed with it than I was in 2010. Much less impressed. Uh, one thing that I saw recently that our uh, friend and guest uh, Colin posted was uh, on Facebook was, uh, I'm convinced that the worst movie in the world is Kick-Ass 2. I've heard that that's a pretty good contender. I've heard it's not very good at all. I never even saw it. Yeah. And I've had opportunity. The library has it. I I just haven't watched it because I don't want to see it. But, yeah, you're talking about, uh, uh, you're less impressed with Kick-Ass. <sighs> yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you were a little bit ahead of the curve on that one. I feel like that's a movie that felt really fresh in 2010. When comic book movies were starting to solidify their final form. Mm-hmm. 
we were starting to go, okay, this is what they look like. This is how they are. And then... And then that happened. Yeah. And it, it it felt bold. It felt revolutionary. It felt like, okay, here's a movie that's having fun with this. And it seemed like something different. But it has kind of the same problem that Judd Apatow's films have, in that it's not all that bold. It's not all that different. Um, it's as I said, There's some good things about it. Uh, I really like Aaron Taylor Johnson's performance in it. I think he's good. Uh, Clark Duke is... It, Anything, anything that Clark Duke is in is going to at least be worth watching for him being in it. Uh, I loved him on The Office. Uh, I loved him in Hot Tub Time Machine. I loved him in because I've heard by the way I've heard the sequel to that is atrocious, not even touching it. Yeah. Uh, I loved him in uh, I'm trying to think of what was something else. Um, Sex Drive, which I still I've watched that one enough times to really feel pretty firm on my opinion on that one. That one is still. That one is still much better than it has any right to be. Um, I've heard that the that the unrated cut makes fun of un- the existence of unrated cuts. Yeah, it's not worth watching. Um, but I, I really do. I, that's one that I still. And you, that's one that I still feel very strongly about. Uh, it does have definitely the fact that the homophobic humor in it is a little uncomfortable, but it's also but it's also humor that's being made by a character who is extremely home who is extremely negative. You're not supposed to, uh, James Marsden's character in it. He's extremely homophobic. He's extremely unpleasant. He's established as a bully. He's established as a bad person. And of course, he's also a closet homosexual as we find out. Yeah. Um, I'd like to say that that's a trope that I'm kind of tired of, but, um, reality doesn't let me be tired of that. Yeah. Not, not, not with all of the prominent, uh, gay bashers who've, uh, found themselves in funny situations uh, but but that's one that i still really do like um yeah i just i just got past the point in uh, i'm re i'm rereading uh, song of ice and fire i'm on the fourth book now i just started the fourth book you and amanda need to chat by the way uh, she's watching game of thrones right now yeah yeah as soon as soon as i get through season six because i'm trying to catch up so i can watch season six which i've heard season six is the best one they've ever done yeah, and that's interesting because, you know, this is the, that's why I've been hearing, which prompted me to, you know, do this, but, um... It's the same for her, so... Yeah, and it's, to be clear, I am, when I say reading, I mean I'm listening to them. I am listening to them being performed. Oh, boy, that's a, that's gonna take some time, huh? Oh, yeah, like, 33 hours on three of the books and, like, 50 hours on two of them. <laughs> wow. But I listen to them at work, so I have lots of time. And I'm also listening to nice. them... I'm uh ironically I'm listening to them faster than I can read them so yeah well, that's good that's good I'm a speed reader so oh yeah and it's funny how much how much more you catch when you when you're listening to them in a more compressed amount of time but anyway there are some spoilers for Game of Thrones for Game of Thrones here I will note the time on the blog you know you can jump to a certain time after this but yeah you don't mind do you <laughs> no i don't mind okay so okay i mean i know who Jon snow's parents are so oh well there you go i have a theory about that i hope i'm right um massive game of thrones spoiler omitted if you want to hear the spoiler refer to our next outtakes episode outtakes three massive game of thrones spoiler so at the end of the third book 
Yeah, Tyrion kills his father. Um, so, uh, and just before that, he kills his prostitute, like the person he was paying to basically be his girlfriend. Yeah. Because she betrayed him. And you also find out that he is, that after betraying him, she is sleeping with his father. And it's, so there's a point at the beginning of the fourth book where uh, Cersei has become a point of view character and she is observing the aftermath of this. And then she, like, when she sees that there is a prostitute in his bedchambers, she's like, what? He would never do this. He once caught somebody in bed, like, one of his noblemen in bed with a prostitute, and he punished the prostitute by, like, parading her naked in the streets. He would never take a prostitute in his own bed. It's like, (laughs) it's it's the Shakespearean, you know, me thinks you, you just protest too much. Exactly. Thing. Exactly. So, so that's the point I was making on that. Let's, but let's wind back again to uh, Kickass. As I said, I it felt so fresh in that time. But then you watch it, and you realize it's just pretending to be fresh. It's really not doing anything all that special. It's fun, but it's very shallow. Uh, it's pretty. The the portrayal of women in it is pretty atrocious. Uh, Matthew Vaughn has some serious issues with women. Um, I still love Kingsman. I've watched it a couple of times. I think it's... Mason, come at me. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. But it has horrible issues with women. Matthew Vaughn does does not do women well, okay? Yeah. But, but with all that said, I think it felt fresh. I think it felt new. And I think it felt exciting in 2010. And it really wasn't. If you want to see this idea of what would a superhero in reality be like, it's not this movie, which takes place in a comic book world. Watch Super, where it's really dark, it's really unpleasant, nothing good happens. Yeah. Uh, It is, that's, Super is a fantastic. It is, yeah. It's, I would hesitate to say that that movie will ever, you know, be subject to this treatment of, well, it's not going to, I don't think 10 years later. No, no. Because it takes everything so seriously. It acknowledges that, it, it, first of all, it point blank tells you the hero is mentally ill. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing this from an objective narrator. He's mentally ill. This is not an objective perspective. And it's and it's a it's probably the only I hesitate to say the only because I'm sure they're out there. But you know, it's one of the only films you ever see with a rape scene. You know where you know the female rapes the male. And it is done so, ugh. It's like not, he, it's not played for laughs at all. No, it is so horribly unpleasant, and it's just you know it's just as unpleasant as well what a real life situation like that would be. It's like yeah, ugh, you just yeah, you want to crawl into the shower after that. I have to give James Gunn credit for that. That is yeah, that's a very forward thinking thing that he did. It um, is yeah. It also that movie also makes me mad that Ellen Page isn't getting more work because she is she is so great in it and she does something she she is so far removed you know to a certain degree I've I've I but talking about movies that felt so revolutionary in that moment mm-hmm. uh, another one from 2010 that comes up a lot and I still really love this movie and I honestly would still put it in like my top three of that year mm-hmm. Inception yeah I think for a lot of people Inception is feeling a lot less fresh than it did. And I think that's because it's changed. And I think that's because cinema has kind of caught up to it. 
and sometimes yeah. when cinema does catch up to you it gets a little tricky um yeah i still love inception i still i still do too i still think it's absolutely i said i still would put it top three uh obviously number one for that year is pretty clear from listening to this cast uh, oh yeah it's funny, we've done a lot of move we've done a lot of discussion of movies of 2010 haven't we uh, we do yeah it's it's kind of a landmark year it is and i think that you know i am doing uh the years i am slowly i'm hoping to do maybe one a month where i look at the movies of a year uh, and i'm going to go through the entire 2000 uh the 2000s decade uh but um i am but i don't know this is something that just does fascinate me it, it really does one thing that i also want to bring up you know that kind of affects the you know this topic as a whole you know going back to movies and finding they don't really hold up is you know ever since you know uh my feminist sensibilities have been honed yeah you, know, you do really start to look back on the culture you know and and it's like, and you go, ooh, <laughs> a lot of things. Yeah, some movies really do not age very well in that light. No. Um, a lot of movies where women are just props have yeah. aged. And it's, and, you know, it's all, that's also a good thing because it do it does make, you know, you, your taste, as far as your tastes go, it does, uh, you know, in watching new, newer movies, it does make you strive for betterness in there in your tastes so i mean it's a double-edged sword but yeah it is it, it is, is a double-edged good thing. sword yeah and i, I mean, it's a good thing i think it's I, I think it's a great thing that yeah. we're starting to all go as a culture wait wait a minute yeah women are women are people back the fuck up we really need to uh fix uh some of our problems here yeah i think so um i don't know because again I, these the films that we're discussing again there's there's so much there in, in terms of that i mean we could go through countless movies um i will say also that that to some degree we do mature we do mature what you consider the worst that you've seen at one point in your life will probably be heavily tempered um so yeah i've, I've had that i think on uh tv shows and movies like just going back on this cast i think we've on this cast, I think we've really had to redefine what the worst is. Uh, at one point, a talking cat could have qualified, and it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, that's, that's crazy, but it totally, yeah. I, I really, if you were to ask me point blank where I would put my pick for the worst, Birdemic is probably where I would, is probably where I would put my marker, is Birdemic. Yeah, as far as films we've discussed on this cast that are i would now i would even say period worst really i mean wow. birdemic yeah Bir, birdemic is unwatchable it is it, unwatchable. It, is, it, it it's not even funny um i don't know one other point that i do want to get into and then I, and then i'm going to shift to a certain degree uh is i think expectations really do also impact they do how we you know movies that we watch and I think that that's what tends to actually lead to re positive reevaluations of things. Yeah. Is we watch movies thinking they're going to be one way, and then they turn out to be another. Here's here's a weird journey that I went through maybe like a year ago. You know, the Ninja Turtles movies. You know, I I I bought the collection. You know, the little six dollar four movie collection. Uh, the yeah. fourth the fourth one being the the animated TMNT two thousand seven. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The first one is still pretty good like it's still like you know as far as movies go they're you know these are just okay these are base level yeah but i mean the first one is still pretty impressive 
Like as far yeah, as it still is technically right. Yeah, as far as like how it handles the material, it's really good. It's pretty impressive. The second one, which was my favorite back in the day, is a little bit of a disappointment. Big time. <laughs> yeah, which sucks. The third one, uh, this is this is where it gets interesting. The third one, uh, I rewatched on TV uh, a while back, and I just I re- also really liked that one as a kid, and I just went, "This is kind of boring." And then I revisited it on video and went, wow, this is probably actually the best of the three. It's interesting because the third one, I, I think the third one gets kind of a bad rap myself because yeah. it, it tries something. Yeah. It tries something really interesting. Uh, does it necessarily succeed? No, but it does try something. Yeah. They, they, they come up with a valid reason for why these Japanese people would be speaking English. <laughs> Which... Mm-hmm. It's just, which is kind of above and beyond for, you know, what you'd expect of, you know, a movie of that level. Any movie lately. That's true, actually, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it does try something, and the plot is really good, and uh, I think that's what, um, that's what my, that's what my dad's favorite, actually, is of the three. Like, it always has been. Because, you know, the reason being, I love how he put this. Like, the first two, it's like, yeah, you're dealing with the world. You're dealing with the mythology presented in the original material. The third one is just, like, this really... It's like a side adventure. It's, this, it's the thing that it's this thing that absolutely has nothing to do with, you know, the rest of the world. It's just this thing where they go off on this uh, crazy side adventure. It is. And I, and I really do appreciate that about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know... There are so many movies that like fall into that category where I was expecting one thing, I didn't get it, and then I go back in and I appreciate it for what it is. Winter's Bone is a movie that really defines this for me. Mm. Um, I want to point out, by the way, this one is becoming a staple of the Walmart $4 bin. Hmm. And what's funny about it is, of course, what they're using to sell it is uh, they use, I mean, in all fairness, they haven't done anything like special to the box art. They just use the theatrical poster. Right. But, of course, the theatrical poster has the lead actress on it. You know, so it's being sold as a Jennifer Lawrence movie. Right. Which it absolutely is. She's unquestionably the lead character. I mean, it it is her movie through and through. Um, It's funny to me because I see that and I think to myself, you know, usually when they do that, the actor is, and it's obviously, you know, they'll do that when it's like an actor blows up big, but they only have like a scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's funny to me to see that because it's kind of a reversal of that where it's like, okay, people are going to pick this up, and she's in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think people who pick that up might be surprised by just how satisfying they find it. When I watched it at first, though, I was kind of let down by it, because it doesn't have a very satisfying ending. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of anticlimactic. Have you seen it? I have not, unfortunately. The thing about it is, the answer to the mystery is just kind of handed to the character, mm. and that kind of frustrated me, until I stopped and rewatched it and realized, no, the whole point of this story is that she earns these people's respect. She earns, because, because it's really not a mystery. We really do know right from the word go what happened. Mm-hmm. It's not spelled out for us, but we can figure it out. We, we get our answer. And no, it's not satisfying because it's not supposed to be. That's not what the film is really about. It's a great movie. Uh, it would have easily, easily, been that's another 2010 movie damn it 
<laughs> I did not intend this. Okay. That to be a to be a best and worst of twenty ten. <laughs> yeah, I did not intend that. But it really is. That's a great movie. Uh, Lawrence got a huge boost from it, and, and she really is. It's the best thing she's ever done. Uh, almost irritatingly, it's the best thing she's ever done. Uh, I ha- I have a title for this cast, by the way. Yes. Differing opinions. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, that's a really good one. But I, I think that's an interesting one, and I'm going to go back even further. By but that's but while that's an example, there's another one that I am going to give a different reaction to and that is uh, i do want to point out i had that with the truman show big time too yeah where i couldn't really figure out initially what it was supposed to be uh, i liked it i liked it enough to go buy the screenplay but when i first saw it i was still kind of trying to figure it out and i think it's because the movie is told through such a strange point of view it is yeah it's very much an omniscient point of view for the movie we know everything that's going on. We know every angle of, of the story. Yeah. And that key, that puts us at an emotional distance. Yeah. And I think the best way to watch the movie is to kind of tune out a little bit in the scenes where Truman isn't the point of view character. Right. Because if you watch it in that way, the movie becomes electrifying. Uh, it's That's a great movie. Uh, that's a movie that... I think I've... I think I've... I always kind of watched it that way. It's like, you know, there's, uh, you do know everything that's going on, but, but yeah, Truman is kind of the, you know, tr- it is from his, uh, you know, vintage point. Put yourself in his shoes and the movie becomes this exciting, thrilling movie. I, I really do. Yeah. That, and, and that's, that's one of my favorite movies even at this point. Uh, I revisited that recently. That's, it still holds up really well. Oh, it holds up beautifully. I think it holds up even better as technology evolves and it becomes more and more plausible. <laughs> that's true. It doesn't. It doesn't feel implausible. Uh, the only thing that's really missing is uh, internet. That's true. Uh, the movie was conceived pre-internet, but I think you could easily get around that. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a great movie. I do often think of what it would be. You know, this is. Um... You know, it's, that's a movie that kind of captured my imagination as far as, you know, that kind of situation goes. You know, what would it be like to, you know, have lived in the same town all your life, you know? Uh, you can't really travel anywhere, like, and, but you want to. It's like, but, you know, the the manufacturers of the uh, uh, your life basically don't allow you to, but you don't know that. It's like... That would be really weird. And, of course, the movie does present that situation where it's like, uh, <laughs> something is off. And, but it's all building to some giant allegories for how we actually live our lives. And that's why it's such a great film. Uh, yeah. I really do love that movie so much. Um, yeah. I, I I don't know. This has, been, this has been a fun discussion. I was hoping that we'd get a good cast out of this, and I'm proving right. Um, I will say, now don't get me wrong. Having, you know, reevaluating opinions, it can definitely go, you know, where you had low expectations and then you watch a movie and you're like, oh, that's so much better than I thought. And then you step back after you've really seen it and you're like, still wasn't very good. That was what happened with me on Rent. You might, listeners might remember, I kind of sat that one out because I was still thinking through my reactions. Mm -hmm. The truth is I had such low expectations for Rent Mm -hmm. that I I really and truly, I, I, I really did... I I, I I think I was too nice to it. I think I was too nice to it. Even even having some distance from our reaction on the 
uh, on the musical cast, my opinion of that has gotten even lower than it's presented not on there. Very good. It's really not a very good movie. Uh, Chris Columbus was a terrible choice to direct, especially now. Uh, like the situ- the situation I'm in now has changed now that I'm on my own and actually yeah. well paying rent. It's like um, mind I'm doing fine. You know I am not. Yeah. You know I am afloat. I am doing perfectly fine. However, I am an artist. <laughs> and it's one of those. Yeah. You know I have had to take a job where uh, I love my job. You know my paying my paid job. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I've had to take a job that's uh, less than ideal as an artist um, uh, in order to survive. But, you know, but however, that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's something I have to do and it's something I like doing. But yeah, just that just that thing with the filmmaker in the movie, especially, it's like, you know, you sold out. Fuck you. I would absolutely love to be in your position. <laughs> Having a job where I get to do the thing that I, you know, mm-hmm. that I studied for and that I want to do, I'm but working for the man. Yeah, I would love to yeah. be able to do that. Fuck you. <laughs> oh my god, I hated that character so much in retrospect. And that's the th- but you know what? I think that part of the thing about that is I was 21 when I saw that movie. I'm 32 now. It looks ridiculous. By the way, for the record, I happen to work... For the record, I was in journalism school at that time. I am still working at a newspaper, by the way. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing exactly what I wanted to be doing, but I happen to be enjoying the fact that I'm still working on a newspaper every day. Yeah, Can exactly. I do it tonight, actually. Love it. Love it to death. I love my job, and I'm I'm yeah. very happy. So that's, that's really kind of, I don't know. I mean, I, I do want to say this. Are there any movies that you really think your opinion will never change on? I mean, obviously we've thrown out a few, but are there any others that you're just like, I know I'm going to go with this to the end of the line? Obviously, I get right. Well, um, definitely Back to the Future. Yeah, Back to the Future is pretty, it's pretty damn time-tested, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's solid, especially last year when, you know, they had... Uh, the 30th. The 30th, yeah, and the fact that, you know, Back to the Future 2, which is my favorite of the series. God, yeah, Back to the Future has always, 2 has always been my favorite. And as time goes on, I more and more love everything about it. You know, just, you know, they would claim in the commentaries that's the weakest of the three. I kind of disagree with that. You know, the most, the most happens in that in a shorter amount of time. Uh, it's not all over the place. It does have a distinctive, like, three-act structure, and each act is different from the last. It's almost like multiple movies in one that would be seen as a bad thing. <laughs> Family Guy movie. <clears throat> Yes. Oh God! Please don't! Please, please don't! Please don't! Please don't! Please don't! Um, I know. I know. It's not. I don't even count it as a movie. But anyway. Yeah, I don't either. But anyway, so yeah, that's so that one has just solid has just solidified for me. You know, as time goes on, uh, as you know, just the greatest movie ever. And uh, um, but yeah, Back to the Future, the Back to the Future films, I think. Yeah, my opinion on them only gets better. Like, the third one has, uh, in my eyes, gotten... Uh, that's that's my least favorite of the three. That one uh, has gotten a lot better, in my opinion. I, I think that's a great choice. Yeah. I, I really can't argue with that. Um, Just, they can, they can never go wrong. <laughs> you know, obviously I've already gone through... Uh, toy, you know, I've already thrown out some of them in the previous casts. Uh, obviously, uh, Casablanca, I feel 
the more that I watch it, the more that I love it. Um, and I, I mean, given that that movie's reputation is 70, 75 years old, you know, it'll be 75 <laughs> years old next year. Yeah. That movie's reputation is pretty firm. I, I Casablanca will eternally be for me a movie that I just, I can go to anytime. But uh, the, the one that I'm going to go with here for this cast closer is A New Hope. Yeah. I don't think it is possible for me to ever change my opinion of A New Hope. Uh, it will always be one of my favorite movies. It will always be this perfectly structured, perfectly told story, this fairy tale of heroes and knights. And By the way, I saw a... I recently saw a vintage ad, a newspaper ad for uh, A New Hope. One of the reviews on it was one of the best movies of the year. I'm just like, <laughs> you have no fucking clue, do you? <laughs> I mean, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. But but it, you just the scope of this, you have no clue. <laughs> yeah, I just A New Hope is always going to be one of those movies that I can just put on and get lost in the majesty of. Mm-hmm. I mean, does it have its problems? Obviously. But I knew that then. I knew that when I saw it in 1996. I know that when I'm seeing it now. I don't care. The characters are so strong. The performances are so good. Uh, I think Mark Hamill plays it exactly perfect, by the way. I think he plays Luke exactly right as the wide-eyed innocent. And then you follow his arc to Return of the Jedi, where he is just fantastic as the darker Luke. You know what? You know what? Forget it. Forget it. I'm, let me rephrase that. I changed my answer. The star, the original Star Wars trilogy. The only shift, the only shift that I've had is I'm nicer to Return of the Jedi. That's the only shift I've had. Yeah. I also still think Empire Strikes Back has more problems than people give it credit for, but that's me. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, that's just. I again, I just opinions shift, and I think that we, I just think that fundamentally we have to be okay with the idea of constantly reevaluating art. Mm-hmm. I think it really does us a benefit to constantly be going, is this really the thing that I thought it was? Yeah, yeah, exactly. One thing that I will give honorable mention to, I've been trying the entire cast to try to fit in somewhere and it doesn't really fit. It's a TV show. Yeah, I have had to give serious reconsideration to the series Weeds. I ne- yeah, I never, I never got into it. Yeah, I, I've seen the first five seasons and half of season six. And that's that's significant because the first three seasons fit the premise, you know, which is a a white suburban mom sells pot to stay afloat. Season four, it she moves away to like this seaside town or to this like uh yeah seaside town near the Gulf of Mexico, and it loses its premise. Like I've been told that criticism by friends and. The more I ruminate on it, it's like, yeah, it kind of did lose its way when it did that. And uh, season six, that really like solidifies that because I only got halfway through because I recently was forced to go, okay, I have to be honest with myself. I didn't stop watching it because I got busy. I stopped watching it because I lost interest. Yeah. And it's. And it's because season six meanders so fucking horribly. Like, each... They're on the road, and, like, each episode is, like, a different location. And it's like, this is going nowhere. When shows do that, when they change their premise up, it becomes a problem. 
one of the reasons I think The Office was always great through and through was because we never left the bullpen of Dunder Mifflin. Yeah. Things happened, characters came and went, but we never left that setting. That was always the cornerstone of the show, was that one central location. Yeah, and it's the same. It's the same thing with Parks and Rec. You know, I'm rewatching that, and it's it's holding up beautifully. Of course, that show goes through tremendous ch- changes. It does. Yeah, it has a lot of changes. But 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 we never lose that core. Yeah, it never leaves city government. Like Leslie leaves the Parks Department at one point, sorta, kinda, but she's still in the same building, and you know she's still interacting with the same people. And the only time she leaves government she leaves that city government is uh season seven but season seven is more of a coda to the entire series so yeah. that doesn't really count it's um, allowed to uh, it's allowed to ride. do that it's just one last ride uh it's not you know this is okay this is what's happening before everything kind of flies apart and everybody goes their separate ways and exactly. it's, a, it's a nice thing so that's yeah it's allowed to do that it, it that can't happen in the middle of a series. It what? cannot happen in the middle no. of a series. No. That's what makes me seriously hesitate to ever stop or to ever start watching Orange is the New Black. Because that's it's the same creator. I can give you all kinds of reasons to not watch that show, but I'll tell you <sighs> this. The minute that that show gets its protagonist out of prison, that is when the show is... Now, I've heard the show's done anyway. I've heard that the new season was atrocious. Uh, yeah. But... I mean, and don't be wrong, I think the whole show is god-awful. I you know, you know what that show is to me? That show is white privilege Ugh. bullshit. It is, it is fetishization of something that is very real, and the show doesn't take even remotely seriously. God, I hate that show so oh, much. God. That show is tourism into lifestyles that the show's creators clearly do not understand. Mm-hmm. Hate that show. But uh, I just want to say, I mean, again... Again, I, I really think we need to be flexible on our opinions. We need to be open to them and constantly reevaluating them. Because that's a good thing. And that's that's what makes art fun. Because we're not the same people that we watch things the first time. Yeah. And we need to always be open to that. So uh, And that's that's a beautiful thing too, because it, it makes it makes it more interesting when art is a living thing. It is so much more interesting when mm-hmm. art is a living thing. Yeah, we are alive. So is art. So, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, till next time, we will uh, we will be back at some point. We will be back at some point in full strength. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, you will not you will not stop hearing from us. <laughs> All right, bye everybody. It's three o'clock in the morning. of you wondering what I should do but I'm finally cutting through this haze it's four o'clock in the morning or maybe it's five
don't love me like I love you.